Canuck Central Monday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah here in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. The aftermath of free agency. A day that Canucks fans have uh, often not loved. Yes. Very much, Sat. Day where uh, the Canucks have made some interesting choices in recent years, from Louis Erickson to the Jay Beagles and Antoine Roussel deals that the Canucks uh, really struggled to get out of. But um, usually, mo- usually July 1st for most Canucks fans is a feeling of <laughs> utmost regret. <laughs> yes. It's uh, it's a day to pour one out for cap space because it usually gets brutally mutilated by whoever is running the Vancouver Canucks. And that kind of happened this year. They used up most of their available cap space with the moves that they made, but it was all very calculated, nothing that they've locked into that could hurt them too far down the line. If you want to make that argument for Susie, sure, but it's really not that uh, much of a problem, even if things don't go well for Carson here in Vancouver. So everything they did and all of the reaction I've seen, including our own from Saturday, which you can find on podcast, is pretty positive. Yeah, it has been positive. And I mean, yeah, you, you're not really risking anything. But I would say, though, my biggest takeaway looking at everything is Vancouver still very much open for business. Yeah. And we're going to talk to Frank Valley coming up here in a second. But nothing Vancouver did on the weekend mm-hmm. precludes them from looking for, let's say, another top four defenseman, a long-term third-line center, right? another impact forward. None of that's been solved long-term. You made a bet on Susi that he could be a top four defenseman, but you still need another one long-term. Yep. Cole has a one-year contract. He doesn't have to be granted a position in your top four if somebody else comes in, potentially. So I'd say what Vancouver did that I liked the most was keep their powder dry. Mm-hmm. And now you have options because if something comes along, Vancouver has flexibility. They kept their f- future first for next season. Yeah. They have a couple of prospects all of a sudden. Now, Patrick Alvin isn't lying about them not having any cap space. They mm-hmm. essentially have... Uh, what is it like three and a quarter if you if you do the math a certain way, which is where Tanner Pearson lines up and depending on his status for the season, you know, uh, that's could be open to LTIR should the Canucks end up there. But in being flexible enough to make some kind of a move, I think that's still very much about, you know, what else can they do with Tyler Myers or Connor Garland? Can they make some form of a hockey trade? Look, the the, the free agent class is, is bone dry. I mean, it was bone dry basically to begin with, and now it's really um, just a barren wasteland of talent. I shouldn't say that, but there's not a lot out there. And if you're going to do anything, it's it's going to have to be through trade. Yeah, it's, it's not going to be via the free agent market. Now, I do think Vancouver's still at least in the mix for a couple of free agents, but we're talking on the lower end. We're talking about guys making close to league minimum, but not a lot. I mean, Vancouver already has 46 contracts yeah. for next season out of the 50. Now, maybe there'll be an ELC slide somewhere, depending on what happens and, and where somebody gets... Uh, sent and everything. But regardless, right now you're looking at four contract slots open. You don't want to take up all of them because you want to have flexibility during the season. 
and you want to be able to not only make trades if you are looking to make trades, but somebody, a college free agent at some point, even good teams, even if the Canucks are in a playoff spot, they'll still be in the mix to try to get college free agents. I mean, the Colorado Avalanche landed the biggest college free agent a couple of years ago while they were a cup contender yeah. in Ben Myers. So yeah. you still want to, no matter where you are, you're always looking at the college free agent ranks and also European free agents. So I think if Vancouver signs anybody, it's probably one player. And it's going to be league minimum because Vancouver can still sign league min guys. It's yep. not a big deal because you have a couple of league min guys anyways. Then it comes down to who's going to win a roster spot. 650, 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. You want to get in on the conversation. Are the Canucks done? Uh, you can on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Later on this hour, we'll get into what is next for this team and what they currently look like and how they stack up against their competitors in the Western Conference. Frank, Frank Saravalli is going to join us here in a couple of moments. But, you know, them being done, are they done? It's, as you mentioned right now, they can still play in smaller areas, you know, guys that are mm-hmm. making less than a million bucks. But I think the big picture questions, it, it sort of relates to something you mentioned on Saturday's show. Have the Canucks increased their ceiling as a team? Not necessarily, but they have increased their floor with what they've done. But this is probably a management group that's still looking to increase their ceiling as a team. Let's bring in our next guest. He is our Monday Hockey Insider with the Daily Faceoff. It is Frank Saravalli, and he is a presentation of Angry Otter Liquor. Thanks for this, Frank. How's it going? Pretty good, guys. Just uh, catching my breath after a crazy 10 days or two weeks in the hockey world. Yeah, the draft followed uh, immediately or almost immediately by uh, free agency. And, you know, we've been talking about the Canucks. Uh, First, uh, your take on on what the Canucks were able to do on Saturday and how Patrick Alvin was able to set his team up through free agency. Yeah, you know, it's interesting the way you just framed it. I thought that was a really perfect way to verbalize kind of what I was thinking, which is they've definitely improved. I think the real question is, can they be a team that makes a big enough stride to get into the playoff mix? And we've talked for the last number of weeks and or months about the idea of this team improving its defense core. And I think they've done that. I think Susie is a really smart bet. Um, And I think he's someone that still actually has a bit more to give. Um, And I think he comes in at a pretty reasonable cap number, Mm -hmm. all things considered. Uh, someone who can play on your middle pair with ease, someone who has size. And that to me was the biggest, you know, win of the weekend um, in terms of being able to get that done. So um, I, I like where they're at. I think they've definitely made strides. And I think, you know, there's still probably more to come here, not mm-hmm. necessarily in terms of free agency, but I don't know if it's fair to say yet that what you see assembled now will be the team that's on the ice necessarily in October. You know, and I think you're right about that. And I I think what Vancouver has done right now is create a roster that if they have to head into next season with this exact team, they can can be in the mix for a playoff spot, right? They give themselves a chance. They have a few credible players, but it's very much penciled in. And and I don't think there's a lot of guarantees outside of a few guys we've, we've always spoken about. Now, some guys may be easier to move than others, but I think what Vancouver did too was give themselves a chance. If anything comes along, whether that's a top four defenseman, whether that's a third line center, there's nothing they acquire that gets in the way of that being a target they go after potentially via trade. Yeah, I think that's really fair, too. Um, And, 
You know, I think there's the chance for a bunch of things to play out differently. Like you get a full season of a healthy Thatcher Demko Mm -hmm. that can really cure a lot of your issues. You know, I'd like to see Rick Tockett get a full 82 game run and everyone is ready to hit the ground running. Um, You know, I just think that this, the changes that have been made, you know, again, a, a heroic, you get him for the full season, like all of a sudden things begin to look a little bit differently. And I also, you know, I'm real curious to still see what happens with guys like Myers and guys like Garland and to a lesser extent, Besser, like Besser has a lot to prove and a lot to play for. Um, Some of these guys are, you know, Myers is heading into a contract year. Like Mm -hmm. there's a lot on the go that I think makes the team highly motivated. I'm completely there with you. I, I would. I wanted to follow up on Garland though, because I, I I think everybody agrees. Connor Garland is a legitimate top six forward in the NHL. He can produce, and there are a lot of teams that like Connor Garland. But he's owed seventeen million dollars in cash the next three seasons. You know how many forwards? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to put you on the spot and play the game, but only three forwards in free agency got more than seventeen million bucks in total money this past weekend. And it was Pierre Engvall. It was um, <laughs> JT Comfort. And Ryan, good, O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly. Those are the only three guys who got more than $17 million in total money. So, like, with him, maybe they have to wait for the year to pass, and he's only owed, what, 10 mm-hmm. or $12 million for that to happen. So I think Myers is out there. But I just think that was that was fascinating. In terms of trying to move a guy like Garland, it's not about him being a player. It's He's just owed too much cash for a, let's just, you know, be honest, a, a pretty broke league right now, cap space-wise. And, and also cash-wise. Yeah, and... I mean, that Engvall contract, man, Yeah, that's something. Like, It's not really a conversation you want to be linking up to if you're in that spot. Um, I, I just, I'm still really trying to figure out the Islanders and their plan and yeah. what this weekend was. Like, uh, I mean, Bo Horvat was eager to get out of the mess that the Canucks were the last, you know, 18 months. And it kind of feels like, in an odd way, he stepped into a bigger one mm-hmm. on a team with less upside. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, I think we're all still trying to figure out what exactly Lou Lamorello is uh, is up to right now with that Islanders team. So, you know, could I just address one thing yeah. with regards to Tyler Myers because it seemed like Patrick Alvin tried to respond to or was asked about. Um, something that I had put out there last week or two weeks ago with you guys yeah. about Tyler Myers. Right. And, you know, it was an odd kind of comment and situation. And I think just to shed some more light on it, um, my understanding was the deal that was on the table was Tyler Myers straight up for Kevin LeBanc, another guy that the Sharks have been trying to move. And the thought process was that the Canucks would, you know, both those guys are owed in cash almost the exact same amount of money. Mm -hmm. And with LeBanc, the Canucks could add to their forward group, get a guy that, you know, was kind of, you know, in the 20-goal range before and see if you can rejuvenate him and finish the season strong. And in the meantime, because there's a difference between cash and cap, you save and find a way to shave off $1.3 million on the cap. So that was the process. That was the thought process for both teams. And in return, the sharks get a guy 
that they feel might be a real flippable asset at the deadline. But my understanding was the Canucks were absolutely exasperated that this was on the table and sat out there for so long. So the reason that Patrick Alvin, I believe, answered the way that he did um, was because they were like, if something's on the table, why wasn't it done? That's a question for the Sharks to answer, not the Canucks. And not for nothing, the funny part about it at the end was that he kind of said something, if I'm just paraphrasing, like Tyler Myers is a part of our team or whatever, and it was like, since the moment he signed that contract, it feels like the Canucks have been trying to move Tyler Myers. So I, I don't really know how to interpret the rest of it. Um, he, he did say, like, the, the, the quote uh, after he said, uh, why wouldn't the deal be done if it was on the table? Uh, he, he said, we talked about options to improving our team, but when I was standing in front of you guys here last week, I made it pretty clear that Tyler Myers was part of the team moving forward. So he didn't really uh, sort of leave it out there that there wasn't any discussions going on about uh, Tyler Myers either. Yeah. I just felt like I needed to respond just because I was the one responsible for it. And just wanted to add some more clarity that that was the thought process. Well, you got to before we we could ask you about it. So we were going to get to it anyways, but I think, I think it's one of those things when you hear a GM answer these things, Frank, it's, it's how they answer the questions, right? Not so much what they say. Well, I mean, look, here's the other part too. Like Don Sweeney was, seem to be upset that Matt Grizzlick keeps appearing on my trade board. And I I don't really know how to address that part either. (laughs) Like I was laughing because (laughs) they had told Taylor Hall or Taylor Hall's representatives, you know, in the two weeks leading up to the draft that he wasn't getting traded either. So, I mean, who knows? Like it's a weird time of year, salary cap constraints force people to make decisions that they don't always love or are, you know, comfortable with, and I'm not here to get in anyone's kitchen. I'm just trying to do it as accurately as possible. So, uh, on the San Jose front, what what exactly is going on with uh, with Eric Carlson right now? It's a good question. Um, there seemed to be some conversation between the Sharks, and and I think it, the best way to explain it is in varying tiers of interest level. Like the Carolina Hurricanes were in the mix and talking, uh, they would sort of be near the top of the interest level, I think, along with the Seattle Kraken. You had some tire kicking from the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, some tire kicking from the Toronto Maple Leafs. And essentially, I think what they wanted to make sure was that Eric Carlson isn't being given away for free. And just to be able to check the box to say, yeah, we asked, and the price just wasn't palatable for us now my understanding is the san jose sharks are not willing to retain much more than 20 percent on carlson's deal which knocks him down to just around 9.3 million and just take a look at all the teams in the league now even someone that's been really prudent with their money like the kraken to be able to wedge million onto that team that already needs to re-sign Vince Dunn and Will Borgen and go through their roster becomes a really difficult trade to pull off. And I've been saying this forever. This is one of the most complicated, if it happens, complicated transactions in NHL history, which is why I still put the likelihood of it happening at like 10 to 15% because 
there's so much to jump through. And the Sharks are one of those teams that even as they're bad, they feel the need in their own marketplace to have marketable stars to fill their building. I don't want to say they're more gate dependent than other teams, but Mm -hmm. take a look at the Nashville Predators and what they did this past weekend. Ryan O'Reilly and Luke Shen and, you know, uh, Gustav Nyquist. Like, they're trying to add players, even though they might not be a playoff team, so that they can sell to their fan base and their marketplace, which is, you know, runs hot and cold at times, that you have a reason to come in and buy tickets. And I think the Sharks are very much in that category. And that's part of the reason why they're not just going to cut off their nose to spite their face Mm -hmm. and trade him for for nothing because there's a certain valuation point at which they think it's just better to keep him. And I understand that too. I just think from Carlson's perspective, it kind of feels like now or never. Like, what happens if he comes back next season and has a 60-point year? There ain't nobody that's signing up, even at 9.3, for that. Yeah. What if he comes back to earth? Well, and I mean, and we'll see. And I'm with you. I wonder if somebody pulls the trigger on it. Is it dependent maybe on a team like Carolina doing something with Brett Pesce, maybe? Like, does it make sense for them to do it if they can get him off the books or they move him and then they swoop in for Carlson? Does it seem like something has to happen somewhere for somebody to be motivated? I just as a side note and parentheses, like I, I don't understand why it makes sense for Carolina at all. Mm -hmm. Isn't one of the big theories on why Carlson returned to being Carlson this year is because he didn't have to play in Brent Burns' shadow anymore. Why would you then go add him to the same team again? And by the way, if you're thinking about it from Carolina's perspective, how amazing would it be if you have like the Sharks paying six or seven million dollars of your defense core to play? <laughs> um, it's it's kind of a bananas thing to think about. And I, they're they're loaded already. The fact that they were able to add Orlov uh, to that left side, you can go Orlov and Slavin and. Like it's a it's a crazy crazy group like one through five or one through six I think it's the best in the league and I don't think it's really even close. So, is it could they move? Do they have the flexibility to move out Shea or Pesci or whoever it might be that has a year left on their deal? Yeah, I mean I think if you have the opportunity to get your hands on a talent like Eric Carlson, you you do what you can. But I I still. The, the amount of hoops, the number of hoops to jump through feels like a lot. Um, the Maple Leafs, so there was a report today that, from Chris Johnston that uh, William Nylander is looking for $10-plus million per season on his next contract, and the Leafs uh, just aren't willing to go that far right now. Um, it, with the moves Brad for Living made over the weekend, it, it almost feels – like uh, William Nylander trade is is inevitable at this point with the Leafs cap situation. How do you see it? I think inevitable is a bridge too far. Yeah, um, they're still trying and would like to do something. But what I will say is the signings this weekend, specifically on Sunday, vastly changed the flexibility that Brad Tree Living has now. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it from just a sheer point production standpoint you would think that Domi and Bertuzzi together could replace the scoring if you were to just pluck Nylander off of your roster. Maybe not totally, and and definitely not singularly, but pretty close. 
now if you're able to get Nylander done and keep him, all of a sudden it looks entirely different because you take Bertuzzi, who's better than Bunting, and plug him into your lineup and you're set. But I think I've been saying this for a while. I've been thinking this, that if they get to a spot where they feel like they've reached a dead end with Nylander, that they're not going to be afraid to trade him. That in some ways, I think they have to. Mm-hmm. To think that you can go into next season and all of a sudden that magic that number is magically going to come down, I don't think that's the case. The cap's going up. It's going to be going up an additional $4 million beyond that the following year. These guys are only going to get more expensive, not less, especially when you can start to see that light at the end of the tunnel on this flat cap environment. So mm-hmm. um, he's been down this road before. William Nylander and Johnny Gaudreau have the same agent. Nylander's discussion last time around with the Leafs was difficult. And I just think these moves have set them up to be able to basically do whatever they want. If they want to go out and trade Nylander for a defenseman, specifically a right shot guy, even if he's on his entry-level contract, a young guy, man, that would really, I think, change the complexion of the Maple Leafs for the better because I still look at that defense core even after adding Klingberg and I'm like the right side is just it's struggling yeah I mean the only the issue is there's barely any cap cap space left in the league now right so when it comes to moving these guys out it's getting pretty close to a situation where it has to be money in and money out and we have all these big names all of a sudden Carlson Debrinkat you know Woodley Needlander and and Hallibuck, John, John Gibson, uh, who I know you've reported on as well, he's demanded a trade now. So, I mean, there's all these guys who make a lot of money, high-profile players, but are you going to have to be looking to make some hockey deals here for these guys? Because I don't see a lot of cap space available across the league. Good luck. I mean, <laughs> the hockey trade is one thing, but then what? Yeah. Because you still, if you're going to give up a lot in your hockey trade, which like, I, by the way, not knocking you, I just I, I laugh every time I hear the term hockey trade. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, isn't everything <laughs> what other a hockey kind of trade? trade would there be? No, like, exactly. are we going to make a basketball trade or a football trade? Like, what are we doing here? Um, but when you look at the spot that these teams are in, why do you think the market has been so thin on Hellebuck and so thin on Debrinket? And why, you know, the Chicago Blackhawks were right to get ahead of this Debrinket situation one year prior. Mm-hmm. Well, Debrinket needs a deal right now. And Hellebuck, I mean, is he going to go somewhere for one year to then hit the market? Maybe. But I can't imagine someone giving up a lot for to the Winnipeg Jets in order to make that happen, knowing that it's a one-year rental for a goalie. And, oh, by the way, goalies so rarely get traded midseason. It feels like there's so much lingering out there. That's why... You know, usually you get to this point, tomorrow's July 4, you can kind of put your phone down and relax. I think these next two weeks are going to be, three weeks are going to be incredibly busy. So uh, what's the deal here with with John Gibson? Um, As uh, the report says, he's not going to play another game for the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, I think, um, I don't want to say I'd like to phrase it differently. I, I just think there's some nuance to that when you're on a podcast and you're explaining a story and situation. Okay. Getting radio. To I think that's his, yeah, I think that's his ultimate message. I don't think it was delivered quite like that. 
Um, he wants to play somewhere else. He's tired of losing. He's a competitor. He wants to win. And I can only envision it from his perspective of it's got to be really difficult the last three to four years in Anaheim showing up to the rink basically every day knowing that you don't have a chance to win. Yeah. And that's for a goalie that's getting pelted with a lot of rubber. Like it's hard to, to go in there every day and be motivated. And I think you've seen his numbers sag. You've seen the body language and the frustration, but you also look at his contract. And the first person I thought of was Roberto Luongo thinking about how it's great to get the money, but then it sucks when you're stuck there and you can't go anywhere because of the contract. And I feel like with the term that's remaining on Gibson's deal, it's not the AAV that's offensive. You know, you see even Corpusalo this week um, get five, uh, five years times four million. It's not a crazy AAV in the sixes, but it's the term remaining that no one really wants to make that bet. And he's kind of in a tough spot because the Ducks, it feels like they're going to have to retain a bit in order to make it happen. Yeah, and I, I don't. I just don't see a ton of teams uh, bearing down the door to get a get a goaltender right now. And uh, Hellebuck and Gibson Especially both one on the that's market. been sub sub nine hundred yeah, too. Yeah. Well, yeah. and, then, and then there's Calgary. They're trying to trade all their guys. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you're right. I mean, we'll see some trades hopefully the next few weeks. But it's kind of shaping up to be one of those seasons too, where a bunch of teams are looking to make trades as the year gets going too. I think. That's potentially fair. I just think when you're dealing with guys that need big contracts, Lindholm, be fascinated to see what happens there. Hannafin, um, like it's it's just really hard to pull off. Like it, once the money is spent, because you guys were just talking about it, I don't know what the percentage is of cap that's spent to this point. And it feels like Anaheim, who still has like $6 million and change to spend just to get to the floor, mm-hmm. Um, they, it feels like they're holding, you know, 2% of the entire league's cap that's available, um, as a whole, uh, if 96% is spent or whatever the number is, it's a lot. And to be able to pull off even a deal for Hannafin, who's sub $5 million, you, you need to carve out 5 million on your team and send it the Mm -hmm. other way. Like it's, it's just not easy to do. Frank, we appreciate the time as always. Uh, happy 4th of July tomorrow. Hope you enjoy it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Have a good one. I appreciate it. Uh, there is Frank Saravalli, our Monday hockey insider. He is a presentation on Sports at 650 of Angry Otter Liquor, your game day destination. Visit their 28 locations from Vancouver to Kamloops. The big thing out of that, some clarification on what the Myers to San Jose deal would have been and a straight swap for Kevin LeBanc, also on a expiring deal mm-hmm. uh, with similar salary uh, expectations for both. Uh, or Cash. Exp- 5.87 versus $6 million in cash. Yeah, similar uh, cash expenditure on both ends, but a smaller cap hit for Kevin LeBanc. Yeah, $1.25 million less. Uh, less on the cap. But, yeah, that's uh, that's the report from, from Frank Sierra Valley. And, hey, it gives you that type of crash-and-bang winger that can score a little bit for you. Not really a special teams guy. Can play on the power play a little bit. Not really a penalty killer. But, it's again, it's not like he would be a fit in the bottom six and give you something. Yeah. But it wouldn't have been, you know, the needle-moving center or defensive impact you're looking for. But if you're looking to 
shift a guy out, get a little bit of cap space. I suppose it makes some sense. But as far as cap space goes, Dan, like there's almost none left. And he's Frank's right. Look at Anaheim. Look at Chicago. Look at Arizona. They have cap space. Seattle has 14 million, but they got to fill out six roster spots, including <laughs> Vince Dunn, who's going to yeah. get a big ticket. So even the teams that have some cap space outside of Detroit, who who does have almost 10 million in cap space. They still have to, all these teams have to fill out roster spots and fill out RFA spots. So even the cast space you see that's available is less than you actually think. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. More on the Canucks and what's next, next on Canucks Central. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio, Dan Riccio, Satyar Shaw. It's a day uh, to thank Ken Holland, Sat. Because of Quinn Hughes? Philip Zadino was placed on waivers today by Detroit. So a reminder. Was uh, Not something we could put on Steve Eisenman, who came in uh, a year later to the Detroit Red Wings position. But uh, Ken Holland was still there in 2018 and uh, selected Philip Zadina, one spot ahead of the Canucks, and they were able to then select Quinn Hughes. Now, there was two other selections in that draft, Jesperi Kokinemi at three and Barrett Hayton at five that were also questionable, but uh, still a surprise to this day that Quinn Hughes fell all the way to seven and fell just past Detroit where he was uh, playing hockey all those years in Michigan, slated to play at Michigan for college, and uh, Detroit was just like, actually, in the days leading up to the draft, they were like, yeah, we're not going to draft you. Yeah, so. <laughs> no, not very wise. Not very, and yeah, and I think you said it, was, it wasn't Eisenman because he yeah. wasn't there at the time. It was time. Ken Holland. It was yeah. Ken Holland at the time. It wasn't Steve Eisenman. It was Ken Holland who, yeah, did the Canucks a massive favor at that point. And listen, that's what happens at the, at the draft. You know, yeah. sometimes you do other teams' favors, like Yoli Olevi, and sometimes mm-hmm. other teams do favors for you, like Philip Zadina. So, you know. That's how it goes. That's how it goes sometimes. Like, hey, you can't have it both ways, right? Like, if yeah. everybody always made the right selection, Vancouver would never get Quinn Hughes. It's sort of why I uh, <laughs> I disagree with some of the logic we've heard of, you know, drafting Valander instead of uh, Zach Benson. You know, well... You know, for every Ole Levy Matthew Kachuk situation, there's a similar one like Philip Zadina and Quinn Hughes that's happened in the draft. It's uh, it can be a fickle beast, the NHL entry draft, and that's a situation that played out well for the Vancouver Canucks, and they are very happy. And we, as watchers of the Vancouver Canucks, are very happy to have Quinn Hughes as somebody we watch on a nightly basis during the NHL season. So, okay. Um, we had the report there from Frank Saravalli that, you know, the deal between the Canucks and Sharks that was potentially on the table, but the Sharks just would not pull the trigger was Tyler Myers for Kevin LeBanc. The Canucks save a little bit on the cap and, uh, the cash is about the same amount of outlay for both sides. So a bit of a wash on that front. Obviously it never happened. Patrick Alvin has now responded to it. And what he mentioned on the weekend, 
And the Canucks are still in a spot where they have Tyler Myers on their roster. They still have him slated to play fairly big minutes for next year. And they're in a situation that they don't have much cap space to do very much of anything. But what is next for this team, Sat? So where I don't, I'm with you, but is Myers slated to play a big, play a big role? Like right now, unless he's playing with Quinn, he's on the third pair, right? Yes. If he's on the third pair, then how expendable is he making $6 million. Especially once his uh, once his signing bonus gets paid, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, he's he's fairly expendable. Yeah, and this is not me trying to say Patrick Alvin wasn't being honest. He's like, yeah, we're... You know, we're planning on. You can always plan. Like he, he, what did he say? We're not planning. We don't intend on use, to use buyouts. We're yes. not intending to. We're intending to go into the season with Tyler Myers. He's going to say what he needs to say, and he's not going to be putting his players on the trade block, really, unless it was Bo last year, where they openly spoke about Bo and JT. Yep. But on on this one, they're which tells me they're very open to trades. And I think Dan, nothing that happened today mm-hmm. or over the weekend changes. I think Vancouver's goals in what they want to do long term. Bluger's not the long-term third-line center. No, or at least hasn't. You know, we have maybe he proves it, and he he he's a hit and signs, and maybe he is the guy. But as we sit here, a guy you gave one point nine million to on a one-year deal, and then he's UFA. He's not a guy that you're married to. No, you're not married to Ian Cole. No, Carson Soucy even he's making three point two five, which means you you're making a bet he can play in the top four. Yes, but you're not paying him to only play in the top four. Yeah, so. I don't think a righty defenseman, a good lefty defenseman even, that can fit or whatever, I don't think it gets in the way if Vancouver can acquire something via trade, but it has to come via trade. Yeah. It's nothing that can come via the free agent market Mm -hmm. unless you're talking about league minimum players. And we heard the Maxim Comtois, you know, uh, links and everything. And I think Vancouver's in on players like that, but league minimum. And maybe they sign one. I don't think they want to be signing guys to multi-year deals unless it is like the, you know, uh, Will Landon type contracts, PDG ones where... They're essentially league minimum for yeah. two years. Two-way deals, you know. But there's even a limit on how many of those Vancouver wants to have, given the likelihood of one or few of those ending up in the AHL. Yeah. This isn't this this isn't Marley's. They, they, they don't have a, you know, a, an endless budget on how many players <laughs> they want to pay to play in the Abbotsford's club for them. Well, they also already have, you know, most of their contract slots taken up. Um, you know, they have 46 contracts on the books. And... If you look at the forward group, guys like Studnika, Hoaglander, Pod Colson, now there's a few guys already that are considered extras. You mm-hmm. could throw PDG into that conversation, right? So, you know, they have four or five guys that are kind of on the bubble of the roster already fighting for mm-hmm. competition spots. Now, how many more do you really realistically want to add to that group? I don't think too much. Mm-hmm. You know, the way the Canucks make moves on this roster right now is by making a trade, a significant trade at that. And it's the guys we've talked about ad nauseum. But the way I sit right now, it just it feels as though a Connor Garland trade is something that they've maybe looked at and said, this is probably something we're going to have to put off for a little while yet again, just because of the cap situation around the league, the lack of money being spent on forwards. And once the cap goes up and Connor Garland is then two years away from UFA, 
closer to being an expiring deal, you know, then it becomes an, a more movable contract. Time always makes your contracts that much more movable. $17 million is how much he's owed in cash. Yes. And like we mentioned to Frank, only three forwards in the entire free agent market got $17 million or more. Yep. Engvall, Comfer, and... Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly. R-O-R. Good thing you didn't say ROR this time, to Frank. <laughs> but those are the three players. Those are the only three guys, right? So it tells you how little cash was spent in terms yeah. of big money. That's the reality with Garland. And well, and guys didn't get like teams didn't pay to move off of guys either. No, Vancouver could have paid. Yeah, they could have retained. But now that you've bought out OEL, you don't want to be retaining because you don't want to be in a position where in two years you have close to six million maybe mm-hmm. in dead money. Then then it becomes an issue. When you already have four point seven six on on Oliver Ekman you can't be throwing more dead money on top of that. So you can't really afford to do that. So you can't be giving that up today. You're right. Maybe next year. But I do think as long as they have a guy like Teddy Bluger, yep. Garland's spot on the roster all of a sudden makes more sense. Now, it's still inefficient. He's yep. making $5 million. Don't want a third-liner paying 5 You don't want to be paying a third-liner $5 million. No. But right now, before we had the discussion about do you get to a point where you trade Garland for somebody who can play third-line for you? Uh, do you trade him for Radic Faxa? Do you trade him for a guy who can play third pair of minutes for you? But now where when you already have Blue Grun in one year deal, you don't want to be throwing any you don't want to be adding anybody with term yep. that plays that role in the bottom six anymore. You want to have some flexibility. And now that you have Susie that has a little bit of term, do you want to get a, another defenseman that you're taking a flyer on that might be a third pair guy? Probably not. And at the end of the day, as much as I'm not the biggest Garland fan, as everybody knows, he's a good hockey player. He's a yeah. talented hockey player. And he showed he can drive play. So can he be the offensive engine, at least, on the third line? So he's a guy that likes to dominate the puck. That's fine, because you're playing with Teddy Bluger. You're going to be playing with maybe uh, Field Giuseppe, maybe put Colson, you know, maybe Bavillier. That's going to be your winger on the other side. So if, if that's your third line, all of a sudden, Connor Garland makes a lot more sense. Like, he's fine defensively. He's not, he's not an impact two-way guy, not a fast guy, right? Yeah. But offensively, he's creative. He's going to help to keep the puck in the offensive zone. And when you have... A player like Bluger, who's not a creator, but has a decent shot. I think all of a sudden, if you're looking to maintain some offense in your bottom six, mm-hmm. your best bet to your point is don't trade Garland now and give up something for it. And he actually, with a player like Bluger, has utility all of a sudden on that third line. Bluger last year only scored four goals with the two teams, Pittsburgh and the Vegas Golden Knights. He didn't play a game in the Stanley Cup Final for Vegas, but was a big factor in uh, the series against Dallas and did have a decent role until the final on that Vegas team. So is he the ideal third-line center? No, but as long as we're using this term, you're not married to him on a one-year deal. And there is the potential that he tries to find some upside. He said it as much with us when we spoke to him on Saturday, I have more offense in my game. He's angling himself for a bigger contract next summer. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of these guys that signed one-year deals over the course of the weekend, who would have thought Tyler Bertuzzi was signing a one-year deal? Not not too many people. Max Domi signing a one-year deal. Not, not too many people. They could have signed for more term. But all of a sudden, when you have a situation where cap space is shrinking around the yeah. league... Everybody is of the pretty comfortable assessment that the cap, the cap situation is finally going to be alleviated somewhat next year by a four, five, maybe even as much as $6 million uptick in the salary cap ceiling. Guys like Teddy Bluger, 1.9 now, maybe he's worth 
two and a half next year if he has a decent season, scores 10 to 12 goals, gets back to more of the point projections that he was at. So you have a motivated player now on that third line. And where did Garland play his best minutes last year? It felt like, certainly towards the end of the season, when he was the primary puck carrier and the guy that drove the offense on a line with Nils Oman and Dakota Joshua. And I think that's where you kind of slot in Connor Garland right now until further notice because the way the Canucks move on Garland is probably a hockey-type trade, one-for-one, money-in, money-out, or you have to simply wait. And the third option is pay. And I don't see paying being a very admirable option a very enticing option not a lot of teams paid to get off contracts this weekend most of them probably saying if we can hold out for one more year then these contracts become a little bit more movable and i don't have to part with a second round pick or a first round pick or a decent prospect to get rid of this guy or even if they're not movable you have more cap space you don't have to give somebody away to get more cap space you might be stuck with garland for another two years Mm mm-hmm like, that, that might just be the reality. Same with Bestry. You might be stuck it's with not, those It's not like a ends. terrible situation. 40, 50-point guy. No, like, it's not. It's just not ideal. But again, I, I don't think Vancouver's against doing anything here. Yeah. Like Going back to the, to the point I was trying to make earlier here, Vancouver hasn't solved their long-term third-line center position. They haven't solved any of the top four defense positions. They still need another impact winger at some point down the road. You buy yourself enough time now to see if somebody internally comes up. Can Bluger do it? Maybe. Can Oman grow into that? Perhaps. Can Ratu do something in a bit? Maybe. That, those are your internal options right That's now. That's the ideal right? situation. Those are the internal guys you're looking at right now. On defense, you buy yourself some time. Hey, can Hirose be something? Uh, does Elias Pettersson emerge in a year? Can Flip Johansson, who they believe in, can he all of a sudden emerge and do something for you? You have space for those guys to take a spot. Now, if that doesn't happen, guess what else you have? You still have your first-round pick next season, and I'm yeah. not advocating trading it, but I'm saying you have options all of a sudden because you didn't give stuff away to go and get off salary. You didn't give up any of your prospects to get off salary. So if a trade comes available to you, now you can go and find that third-line center maybe that fits in, the younger player that can play that role for you. You need that impact winger that comes available. Maybe you can be in that market. Not only do you have some cap space next season, you didn't give up any of your, of your mm. prospects either. Yeah. Vancouver went from having nothing in their prospect pool to now within a couple off seasons being going from maybe being what bottom two in the league yeah to being almost middle of the pack almost kind of inching into that a little bit which isn't great but you're getting a bit closer to the rest of the pack all of a sudden because they kept their powder dry here dan i think vancouver can now meaningfully within the next year be involved in trying to make some significant additions via the trademark or perhaps even free agency next season so i, I think they're very much open to just about anything And now they have the possibility to do other things. So that leaves the situation open for the Vancouver Canucks on what could be next. Now, you know, the Tyler Myers situation, we sort of mentioned it. uh, That's still an open-ended one. When he gets paid his signing bonus and through the course of the season, he becomes an infinitely more movable contract as time passes for the Vancouver Canucks and one that could maybe fetch them an asset. We know right shot D are always coveted around the league and Myers in an expiring deal situation would be no different. You know, I think Myers has had interest from around the league over the last couple of years. He's got a no trade clause, at least a partial no trade clause. So it makes it difficult. It's not a black and white situation to easily move off that contract, but once his signing bonus is paid, it does become 
that much easier, and that's what the Canucks are looking towards. But how do they stack up now, Sat? We talked about them raising their floor as a team. They've become you know, one that has fewer holes around their lineup. They essentially took the entire cap savings and a little bit more that they got from the OAL buyout and put it into three players that should help them play three-zone hockey, that should help yeah. them play more or have more success on the penalty kill. They can't possibly have less, so... Ah, uh, they could. <laughs> Listen, Dan, Should we not make that worse. bet? Should we ne- not make that bet? Never say he can't get worse. Uh, let's let's put it up on play now. Uh, can the Can- Will the Canucks penalty kill be better next year? I'm not saying it's, it's, it's going to be worse. I'm just saying it can be worse. Things can always be worse, Dan. Okay. I think we established this last year. Man, I, I miss optimistic set. Where's where's glass half full set? Hey, we'll get there. Well, I mean, nothing's happened yet. You yeah. know, let, let's see kind of what happens. But I think Vancouver all of a sudden is in that mix now. So, okay, they're not as good, obviously, as Edmonton or Vegas. No. They're obviously not as good as Colorado or Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, the LA Kings... I think we can all agree at the moment are ahead of Vancouver, at least projection-wise as well. I know people, some people don't like the Kings. I'm kind of yeah. cool on the Kings bid, but still, we put them ahead of Vancouver. If LA gets, let's say, Hellebuck or Gibson, then there's at least more clarity in their net-minding situation. But I still, like, that's a team where I think they're going to be in the they'll, – they'll be in the playoffs, but I still don't see where their ceiling is necessarily. Yeah, I, but they're still going to be good. Yeah. You know, but they're a playoff team, right? I think we can say we can comfortably say that the LA Kings, Vegas Golden Knights, Edmonton Oilers, and the Dallas Stars and Colorado Avalanche, those five teams we can comfortably say are making the playoffs. Yeah. Do we say the Minnesota Wild, who've actually lost a lot on the roster now and are kind of capped out? I'd still say they're they're still a good team. So mm-hmm. let's kind of give them the benefit of doubt. That gives you six teams all of a sudden. Yeah. The teams remaining, Vancouver, mm-hmm. Seattle. You can put Seattle ahead. Mm-hmm. If you want, right? They had more success. Most people would. So that's seven teams you can say that. And but I'd say that Seattle and Minnesota could somewhat come back to the pack a little bit. So let's say those are the seven you want to give spots to. Then it's Vancouver, Nashville, St. Louis, Winnipeg for a wild card spot. Those four teams for that wild card spot. And depending on Minnesota and Seattle, could be coming down to the pack a little bit. But for the moment, let's just say you know we give these teams that made the playoffs, you know, have had pretty good success, the benefit of doubt so far. Between Nashville, Winnipeg. In St. Louis, I think Vancouver stacks up very fine against those teams. They're yeah. not in, in a tier above them, kind of similar tier. I'd say Vancouver's slightly ahead. I like Vancouver's roster better than those teams. But those are the teams you're looking to beat out now to make the playoffs. Do you put Calgary in there as well? In terms, like It depends yeah. on what they do this summer. But yeah. I would say right now their team they, on paper should be in that tier. They probably should be in that tier as well. You put them there as well. I, I think I like Vancouver better. All of a sudden, Vancouver has stability, it seems like, comparatively yeah. speaking. you know, Not to say that they're going to make the playoffs, but, but I'd, I'd say against those teams, I like Vancouver's chances. Those mm-hmm. Let's put Winnipeg in there. I mean, Calgary in there too, like Josh mentioned. In, I, of those five teams, yeah. it's not going to be easy, but I like Vancouver, how they stack up against those five. I have a, I have a tough time with Calgary right now just knowing – not knowing what their ultimate roster looks like come the fall. Like, are they still holding on Lindholm and Hannafin and Backlund as we get into the season? That's, um, that's an interesting ask if that were to happen. So I, I'm still a little bit lukewarm on the Calgary Flames. I can't comfortably say the Canucks are better than the Seattle Kraken, the LA Kings, the Edmonton Oilers, or the Vegas Golden Knights. Like, as they stand right now, 
it's hard to sit here today on July 3rd and and be like, yeah, the Canucks are for sure better than those guys. And the way that the playoff system works, it makes it very difficult with those three spots being taken up by each division in the Western Conference. I guess this might be one of those years where you know, you see the Central sort of sag back and you could have five teams close to 100 points in the Pacific Division if mm-hmm. all goes well for the Vancouver Canucks. So I, it's tough to sort of sit here and say that the Canucks are guaranteed to make the playoffs. But what I do know is they're far better in their top four on defense far more functional in their top four on defense with Ian Cole and Carson Soucy. Uh, like what's the worst case scenario for, for Soucy? Like he's completely overwhelmed in, in top four minutes. Like I, I just don't know how a guy who's performed extremely well, even in third pair minutes has performed well on the penalty kill, just all of a sudden becomes a complete black hole because he's playing top four. He's playing an extra two minutes a night. Playing a little bit like he's I don't think he plays ultimate toughs. No, he doesn't. He hasn't played ultimate toughs. I would say I think there is a possibility that a player who hasn't played those toughs plays really tough minutes and doesn't handle it. Right. I think there's a world that that can happen. And we've seen that happen a lot where a guy I mean Tyler Myers, for instance. Mm-hmm. If Myers played sixteen minutes a game, do you think anybody would be talking about how bad he is across the league? No. Right? And then but then he plays elevated minutes. They're like, Oh my god, look at this guy. He's horrible. Why what is he even doing in the National Hockey League? And then meanwhile, you but know. Myers at times, in, in even the toughest of minutes, has been able to sort of tread water or be a little bit below. Every once in a while, yeah. you know, yeah, he has been at times, but he's also had some really bad. But my, my point being, there are guys who can't handle those minutes. Yeah, I'd say with Susie though, my best bet is have him with Quinn and see if he can use his, his shot as well in the offensive zone. Quinn doesn't shoot the puck very well. We saw last year with Luke Shen how often he would get shooting lanes. Mm-hmm. And Susie's a far better shooter than uh, Luke Shen is. He's got a really good shot. I like the having that option on the power play. And because of Quinn and how he likes to play the right side because he moves around a lot, I think Shen, fi- I mean, <laughs> Shen, I think Susie will find himself on the left side a lot. And I think that'll help him be comfortable defensively. So that's kind of why I like to try those guys out initially, at least. And my final thought on this before we get to Don Taylor, I like what the Canucks have done from a goal prevention standpoint, but I am still withholding a little bit of caution on how they'll fare with their goal creation because they lost Bo Horvat last year and I was all for the move. I think it was right to make a major change to the core of this team. And also I wanted to be nowhere near paying Bo Horvat that kind of money, but have they really replaced the offense Bo has brought to this team? That's a question that they'll have to answer when they get to training camp this year. Stan Richo, Satyar Shah, you are listening to Canuck Central.